Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Glenn Leitner. And I'm Linda Leitner. The proposed killing of deer at Griffey Nature Preserve in Bloomington has been delayed until next year. As WFHB correspondent Rasha Kamhawi reports, the delay is due to not enough local hunters signing up for the deer call. The Bloomington Parks and Recreation Department is postponing the scheduled deer hunt, which was supposed to take place last weekend and over the coming two weekends. The hunting at Griffey Lake Nature Preserve was rescheduled for November of 2019. The delay is reportedly due to a lack of private hunters signing up. The city estimated it needs at least 40 private hunters to carry out the deer cull. So far, a little over half that number have signed up. Bloomington Parks and Rec Natural Resources Manager Steve Cotter says several studies show deer negatively impact plant life at Griffey Lake Nature Preserve. Cotter says studies indicate deer eat native plants more often than invasive plant species. That can make it more likely for invasive plant species to spread in the nature preserve. Culling or selectively killing deer is not new to Griffey Lake Nature Preserve. Last year, the Bloomington Parks and Rec Department contracted a nonprofit wildlife management firm, White Buffalo Incorporated, to carry out the deer culling. A total of 62 deer were killed by sharpshooters last year. The city paid White Buffalo $43,000 to carry out the cull. This year, a grant from the Indiana Department of Natural Resources provided a $32,000 grant to the city's Park and Rec Department. This grant stipulates the city contracts licensed community hunters over two consecutive hunting seasons at Griffey Lake Preserve. White Buffalo is expected to organize and coordinate the event and provide training to private hunters. Cotter says hunters are expected to be recruited from the Bloomington area and from across the state. Reporting live for WFHB, this is Russia Kamhawi. Bloomington-based Indiana Limestone Company has filled in Sanders Quarry. The quarry, made famous by the 1979 Academy Award-winning movie Breaking Away, has been the site of controversy for decades. Indiana Limestone Company has repeatedly moved to fill in and shut down the now-defunct quarry. Swimmers have repeatedly been injured or died jumping from the limestone ledges. The highest peak of the 70-foot rim, called Rooftop, was a popular diving spot for locals and students for half a century. Over the past 20 years, at least three people have died in Sanders Quarry. 
Several others have been injured either by hitting the water or by falling onto one of the many limestone boulders that surround the water's edge. Indiana Limestone Company has pressed charges against people caught trespassing in Sanders Quarry. The company did not return a request for comment left last week. The Herald Times confirmed rumors on Monday that the quarry has been filled with dirt. Indiana Limestone Company bulldozed trees and boulders around the quarry's edge in 2016 in an effort to prevent trespassers from jumping in the quarry. The U.S. Forest Service is accepting public comment on a proposal to log 4,000 acres of Hoosier National Forest. As WFHB correspondent Gabe Donnelly reports, the proposal includes clear-cutting over 400 acres just south of Lake Monroe. The National Forest Service is proposing a forest management project for the Hoosier National Forest. The Forest Service is looking for public comment on their proposal to log 4,000 acres from the Hoosier National Forest. This includes 400 acres just south of the Charles C. Deem Wilderness Area in Monroe County. The project is called the Houston South Vegetation Management and Restoration Project. The Forest Service reports their goal is to improve forest health, promote oak and hickory ecosystems, and restore wildlife habitats. The project would include logging and vegetation changes to the Hoosier National Forest, with clear-cutting expected to occur in the northwest corner of Jackson County and the northeast corner of Lawrence County, south of Lake Monroe. No official decisions have been made on the status of the project. However, Forest Service officials are inviting the public to comment on their proposal. If approved, the Forest Service hopes to reduce the amount of non-native pine trees and to diversify ground vegetation. Currently, the Forest Service, a federal organization in charge of natural resources, says Hoosier National Forest is dominated in areas by non-native pine trees, which block out native ground bushes, trees, and shrubs. The Forest Service hopes that by clearing pinewood-dominated areas, they'll be able to enhance the ecosystems of the Hoosier. The Forest Service has stated it is also considering repairing roads, trails, and eroded areas in and around the Hoosier National Forest. But the Houston South Restoration Project isn't without its controversies. Environmentalists in the area have already gone head-to-head -head against the Indiana Department of Natural Resources' decision to log Yellowwood State Forest at this time last year. Jeff Stant, Executive Director of the Indiana Forest Alliance, says the proposed clear-cutting of some 400 acres south of Lake Monroe will harm area water quality and hurt rather than help the ecosystem. We believe it's detrimental to water quality and that the forest, particularly if you let it grow older, will create this early successional habitat that they're talking about. It might be one or two trees at a time as trees fall from wind and, and insects and disease and knock over other trees and create what are called patch openings. But that's a more natural kind of early succession habitat that's not as harmful to the, the forest ecosystem. He says that the logging should replicate what will happen naturally to the forest over time. Clear cutting, which is the cutting of all trees in an area, will not do that. The Forest Service is taking public comment on the proposal from now until December 26th. Written comments may be submitted by letter, email, or fax. The Forest Service asks anyone who leaves a comment to include their names, addresses, 
telephone, and email if available. The Forest Service asks that you include Houston South Vegetation Management and Restoration Project in your comment as well. Visit WFHB.org after this broadcast to find out how you can leave a comment. Verbal comments can be left with the Hoosier National Forest Office in Bedford or by telephone at 812-275-5987. For WFHB, I'm Gabe Donnelly. The grassroots group Coal River Mountain Watch is suing Republic Energy in federal court for mining on Coal River Mountain in West Virginia. The suit, also brought by Appalachian Voices and the Sierra Club, alleges that Republic Energy is mining the mountain without a valid permit. Mountaintop coal mining is the practice of blowing up the tops of mountains to reach coal deposits and dumping the debris below, often in streams. Mountaintop removal also blasts fine silica dust and other pollutants into the air, creating a public health threat for nearby residents. Reported medical issues from mountaintop removal include cancer, heart disease, and birth defects. On Coal River Mountain, 10 square miles have been affected by this kind of mining. It has destroyed habitat for the endangered Indiana bat and the threatened northern long-eared bat. The National Climate Assessment Report was released on Friday, November 23rd. The study reported that from 1901 to 2016, the continental United States has warmed 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. The report warns that annual average temperatures could rise 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit over the next few decades. The report says it is extremely likely that human activities, especially emissions of greenhouse gases, are the primary source of warming since the mid-20th century. It also predicts a large number of challenges related to warming, including drought, extreme weather, and poor public health. Democrats are debating what to do when they take over the House of Representatives in January. Party leaders vowed to hold hearings on President Donald Trump's aggressive climate deregulation. They demanded internal documents on administrative decisions to reduce restrictions on fossil fuels. This prioritization comes in the context of the recent National Climate Assessment Report, which we just discussed. Trump said Monday that he didn't believe the economic predictions of the report, which include a GDP as much as 10% smaller by 2100. Democratic lawmakers, led by incoming Energy and Commerce Committee Chairman Frank Pallone, demanded documents related to several Environmental Protection Agency proposals. These proposals remove federal power plant regulation, freeze fuel efficiency standards for cars and light trucks, and roll back methane inspection requirements for the energy industry. Nancy Pelosi says she wants to revive a panel created to examine climate change. The previous oversight committee was abandoned in 2010. For WFHB, I'm Glenn Leitner. And I'm Linda Leitner. We love to hear from our listeners. Contact us about stories we've aired or if you have ideas for future stories please send emails to earth at wfhb.org. And now it's Get Out and Hike, showcasing the wonderful wild areas of southern Indiana and beyond. This is Get Out and Hike, and I'm Jan Walker. This week I'm with Jill Vance, a naturalist at Monroe Lake, who will be talking to us about a few fine trails just south of Bloomington, Indiana. 
one of my favorite trails, uh, probably my f- absolute favorite trail uh, that we manage out here at Monroe Lake is at our Allen's Creek State Recreation Area. It's called the Turkey Trot Trail, and uh, it's an out-and-back trail. It's, uh, if you go all the way to the end of it, it's about two miles uh, one-way distance. Um, you just park at the upper parking lot at Allen's Creek and then uh, head back behind the gate. And it follows a ridge top uh, along the peninsula, and it's a particularly nice trail to hike during the winter because of that, because with the leaves down, you can get nice views of, out of the lake on either side of the ridge. And uh, if you follow it out far enough, it'll take you all the way out to the, the foot um, of the peninsula and out there onto the shoreline. And it's just a gorgeous trail. goes through both forest and old field areas. So it's one of my favorite. It is on the rugged side. Um, I would call it a moderately rugged trail uh, just because uh, there are some decent hill climbs. And uh, if you want to do the whole thing, you know, it's an out and back. It's about four miles uh, to do so. Uh, But just a very nice beautiful trail with some great views um i do recommend if you go out hike that one during the summer that can get over a little bit overgrown in some areas so you know make sure you put on some insect repellent uh, around your legs before you go uh, it is at our allen's creek state recreation area site uh, which does not have a gatehouse so uh, entry to that part of the property is free year-round Will there be anything in particular i've heard about uh there being some pretty spectacular fossils in this area Uh, There are fossil beds along the shoreline there. Uh, One of the things that is um, very important to remember is that you cannot take any of them with you. Um, And actually out on the the end of the Islands Creek uh, Peninsula there, it's actually federal land. And so those are federally protected under federal law. Um, And so it's a big (laughs) no-no to take anything with you. So definitely, you know, take pictures, not actual fossils. Uh, But there are some neat things to see, uh, particularly if we like crinoid fossils. All right. Thank you, Joe. Like many native birds, the number of grouse and woodcock are dwindling. WFHB's Norm Holy talks with the wildlife biologist Steve Bax to learn more. This is Norm Horley for WFHB, and today I'm interviewing Steve Bax. He's a wildlife research biologist for the DNR, and he is a specialist or has written extensively on uh, the disappearance of some types of birds. So, for example, he has written an article called The Other Silent Spring, Disappearing Birds of the Young Forests. Steve, would you uh, explain that? topic to us. Okay. Um, my primary uh, interest in young forest or early successional forest management with birds is related to my uh, responsibilities with rough grouse, which was um, one of two grouse species in Indiana. The other one was the prairie chicken that was associated with the tall grass prairie areas up in the northwestern part of the state that disappeared in 1970. Rough grouse is an indicator of a certain habitat type, and that being young forests. And when we talk about young forests, we're talking about forests that are less than 20 years of age. Sometimes they're referred to the woodland thickets. But those habitats are not just important to rough grouse. There's a whole uh, group of uh, songbirds um, and small mammals that utilize those habitats. Um, They're extremely important to 
what we call the post-fledgling songbirds. Those are the songbirds that uh, hatch and are now flight capable. Uh, They gravitate to these habitats because, um, like rough grouse chicks, they depend heavily on uh, insects for food, uh, which they find in quite abundance in these young forests. And as well as the thickness of that, you know, you and I would not want to walk through it uh, aesthetically. It's nothing that uh, impresses us like big trees, but it does provide the protective cover for young uh, birds, which are the primary prey species of other birds like Cooper's hawk and um, small other mammals that are predators. So that combination of food and protection uh, is important to those species. And unfortunately, these habitats don't get much attention, but they are disappearing and we are seeing implications of species declines across the eastern United States of those species dependent on those habitats. So would you just describe the uh, the population trend for uh, the rough grouse and also the woodcock? Uh, the rough grouse, there's two subspecies that were found throughout historically throughout Indiana and all counties of the state. Uh, the one subspecies called the Midwestern was up in the northern third of the state. The southern species uh, in the two-thirds of the state was what we call the Appalachian uh, subspecies. It's characteristic. Uh, one of the characteristics is it's only found in the red phase, and it occurs throughout the Appalachian Range, extending even into the Ozarks. Um, and that species is our primary grouse species that we have left today. And uh, it uh, reached some pretty low points around the turn of the century due to the human settlement and conversion of farmland and loss of forest cover. It saw a rebound uh, with the reforestation that occurred in the uh, beginning in the 40s and into the 50s. At that time, it existed in 12 counties in south-central Indiana, and then as the forest um, expanded and we had plenty of early successional habitats in 1983, Um, We documented them uh, existing in 43 counties of the state. But in a short period of time, um, because of the lack of what we call disturbance, vegetative disturbance, uh, in our forest, we saw our forest mature at a much faster rate than than most people would perceive. In 2008, um, John and I did an assessment of rough grouse and found that uh, their populations had declined and their distribution had declined. And as we speak today, we um, estimate their population to be less than a half a percent of what they were in the early 1980s, and we probably only have them in 12 or fewer counties in the state. And we're concerned about their possible extirpation. Um, And we're in the process of having them classified as state endangered. Now, the, um, the 12 counties where there are rough grouse, where generally within Indiana are they located? What we're working on, we're trying to maintain a core population that uh, would be found in the Yellowwood, Morgan Monroe, Hoosier National Forest, Morgan Monroe area. Um, that's kind of the core population. We do have some individual birds 
uh, on the national forests and Martin State Forest and private land uh, west of Mitchell, Indiana, but those populations are also very low. And we have a few sightings from time to time uh, down in the Versailles State Park through um, Big Oaks National Wildlife Refuge and into private lands on, uh, in Jefferson County. Um, the problem with rough grouse is they're not a migratory bird. So when the deficiencies in the habitat occur, we don't have the replenishing effect that might occur with migrant birds um, where we have source populations in other states that will fill in over time. So our concern about rough grouse is that if we lose this Appalachian subspecies, which is in um, trouble throughout the Appalachian range, that's a unique subspecies that's adapted to the central hardwood oak hickory forests that are you know, dominant in this part of the region. Um, once this population starts to disappear, as it has in Illinois, parts of Iowa, um, for the most part in Missouri, and we're seeing that in western Kentucky, and uh, of course ours are, are deep sixing right now too. The American woodcock and whippoorwill and some of those other species that utilize the same habitats, um, we don't see as rapid a decline, but it is occurring. Um, because we get at that replenishing effect during the migrational periods, spring and fall, which helps fill in some of the gaps uh, in the populations, you know, new birds move in. But at the same time, long-term trends, all those birds are declining uh, significantly. Roof-sided towhees, another one uh, that has declined at the same rate as woodcock, whippoorwill, and rough grouse across the eastern United States. I'd like to ask you uh, whether climate change is is at all a factor in, say, the grouse and woodcock populations. You know, climate change is coming in many factors, as well as increased temperatures. We're also seeing um, more cyclic, heavy rainfall in some areas. So trying to predict what's going to occur over time is difficult. But I will say this, that the Appalachian subspecies is probably the most adaptable to warmer climates uh, and to the oak hickory, so uh, then there's even a greater reason for us to maintain the Appalachian subspecies of the rough grouse. In the future, it may be that particular subspecies of rough grouse may be more adaptable to areas that um, become warmer over time. Um, it's too early, and we haven't had enough time ecologically to make that full assessment as to what's happening with some of our bird populations yet. I'd like to thank you very much for your comments. Uh, I've been speaking with Steve Bax, wildlife research biologist located in Mitchell, and uh, he's been speaking about uh, the lowering populations of grouse and woodcock and other songbirds and the importance of creating proper habitat for them. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you very much, Dr. Holy. Are you looking for a way to take action on environmental issues? EcoReport is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. Give us a call at 812-323-1200 
or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And it's time for In Nature, written and recorded by Eco Report contributors past and present. This is In Nature. The American toad, Anaxurus americanus, is from two to three and a half inches long and lives near permanent or semi-permanent shallow bodies of water, which it needs in order to breed. Their color varies from yellow to red to black and can change according to humidity, stress, or temperature. In the fall, the toad digs itself under loose forest soil using its back feet and hibernates until warm weather comes. After a warm rain in May or June, one may see an exodus of toads hopping from high ground down to the water. The males will sing their high-pitched trill, attracting females and often other males. While mating, the smaller males will attempt to hold on to the female with his front legs, and once she has laid her 7,000 or so eggs, he will fertilize them. At times, there may be more than one male attempting to mate with a female. The pond in spring is a sexual cauldron, with toads trilling, mating, bubbling, and floundering in the water. Afterwards, long strings of toad eggs appear. The tadpoles will hatch, and within a month will develop legs and lungs and emerge onto dry land. They stay near the water for a short time and then leave for higher ground. Toads, unlike frogs, do not need to stay close to water. The American toad has a paratoid gland on the back, just behind the eyes. The gland excretes bufotoxin, a mild poisonous substance that can irritate the skin of humans. It can be fatal to small dogs if the frog is eaten or licked. The toad's diet consists of small insects, other arthropods, worms, and small invertebrates. You've been listening to In Nature. This week in our listening area, there will be a winter tree ID hike at Fort Harrison State Park on Friday, November 30th from 1 to 2 p.m. Identifying trees after their leaves have fallen is not an easy task. Join the naturalist for a walk along Tree Line Trail to discover some tips for identifying trees in the winter. Meet at the Visitor Center. Take a waterfall hike at Clifty Falls State Park on Saturday, December 1st from 1 to 3 p.m. Meet at Clifty Shelter for a one-hour, moderately rugged hike through one of the most scenic sections of Clifty Canyon. Five waterfalls can be seen along the way. Learn to hunt rabbit at the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area on Saturday, December 8th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. This workshop is designed for people wanting to learn the basics of rabbit hunting. It will include firearm safety, hunting with dogs, and how to process harvested game. Pre-registration is required through the Indiana DNR website. Join the Indiana Audubon Society for a two-hour introduction to eBird, a popular online birding resource and checklist. The event will be at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, December 8th, and will run from 3 to 5 p.m. Bring a smartphone and binoculars for both indoor and outdoor activities. To register, contact B. Bumgardner at indianaaudubon.org. And that wraps up our show for this week. EcoReport is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water. 
solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Linda Green, Norm Holy, and Sarah Vaughn. Andrew Brown, Kaylin Brower, and Sarah Vaughn edited the script. Jan Walker produced Get Out and Hike. Sarah Vaughn engineered today's show. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Our interim producer is Jan Walker. Executive producer is Wes Martin. Tune in on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. and Fridays at 5 p.m. for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news. You can also access news, feature audio, and Get Out and Hike episodes anytime at wfhb.org. For WFHB, I'm Linda Leitner. And I'm Glenn Leitner. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.